What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking about my cause, my cleats. Or maybe it's our cause, our cleats. Whatever the NFL is branding it as. Where players put messages about issues off the field on their cleats. Well, oh my goodness. Pete Carroll's cleats. They had a tribute to the radical educator Septima Clark. And the phrase... Black Lives Matter at Schools, which references a book and a movement. Well, we're going to talk to one of the people who made this a reality. It's a fascinating story. He's an activist and an educator from Seattle. His name is Jesse Vigopian. And we're going to learn about how Pete's cleats happened. Also, I've got some choice words about the story in sports. Uh, Brittany Griner coming home. And I have some uh, more words about the death of a, of a great friend of the show, uh, Grant Wall, the most important soccer writer in the English-speaking world. So let's start it off by talking with Jesse Hugopian. You know, the NFL does something called My Cause, My Cleats, where players take issues that they're passionate about and get amazing artists to dress up their cleats in the issue itself with oftentimes mind-boggling uh, artistic skill. Uh, and oftentimes, it has to be said, the causes are causes that are close to players' hearts. Maybe it's gun violence because they lost somebody close to them. Uh, maybe it's cancer because of, of a mother or a grandmother, particularly breast cancer, that a lot of the players feel very connected to. Um, you know, and, and when you look through what the causes are, that's what they tend to be about. They don't tend to be causes that directly necessarily challenge power and talk about human liberation. Except for one man, the dang near 70 year old coach, or maybe he's over 70 of the Seattle, he's over 70 of the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, who wore these cleats or had these cleats made that were just unbelievable. They, they, were, they were themed around the idea of teaching for black lives and also the incredible radical educator, Septima Clark. Uh, just, and it, it's so moving just to look at these cleats. So how do cleats that talk about the importance of educating black children about their history and culture and the greatness of Septima Clark, how does that end up on Pete Carroll's feet? Well, we're going to tell you right now because we have one of the people who's been one of the organizers of Teaching for Black Lives. His name is Jesse Hagopian, friend of the show. Jesse, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm excellent. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, it's great to have so you. Glad, so glad to be with you, Dave. So many questions for you, Jesse. Great to have you here. Um, first of all, the obvious question, how did this happen? No, no, I'm not going to start with that. 
talk a little bit about the movement first. What is Teaching for Black Lives? Uh, speak about the book, but also please speak about the movement, and then we can get into how Pete Carroll heard about it. Excellent. Yes. So, you know, longtime Rethinking Schools editor Wayne Au approached me and Diane Watson about creating a book to support educators teaching about the Black Lives Matter movement. And this was in the wake of the killing of Michael Brown and Ferguson and the, and the great uprising that happened there. And then the rise of the Black Lives Matter at school movement that started in Seattle and and then Philly turned it into a national week-long action that spread around the country. And we knew we needed to develop curriculum to help teachers teach about Black history and this movement that was developing all around us. And then also at the same time, I was making connections with Seattle Seahawks defensive end Michael Bennett, right? He came to that very first rally that we had of uh, in Seattle of Black Lives Matter at schools. And from there, he was interested in not only using his platform to support the work of the movement, but also engaging in activism. And as we began to get the book organized uh, and this whole project, I approached Michael to see if he'd be interested in helping to, to fund this project. And, and I also reached out to Macklemore. And, you know, Ma I had met Macklemore uh, at the annual Martin Luther King Day uh, march. He was marching with us in the streets in 2015. That was, that was, uh, auspicious day for me that that day ended in me getting pepper sprayed by the police for no no reason but the good that came out of that day was that connection and and actually I invited him and his team to come to an event that you were speaking at in in Seattle with with Dr. John Carlos uh talking about wow. from black power movement to black lives matter and it was at that event they knew they knew we were real. You know, I I spoke alongside you and John and and many other speakers, and and that helped to to bring Macklemore's team on board. And so Michael Bennett and Macklemore helped to fund this project. You know, Wayne Al wrote the original proposal to Macklemore's team that helped us uh, solidify his support for the book and. You know, we we were able to publish the book, and it, it was it was great. You know, we got it out all across the country to educators, but we've since developed it into a campaign, and and that's, that's so key. That's so key. Yeah, it, it 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 it's really amazing to see what's gone from just a book to a to a movement uh, of thinking about. Uh, transforming pedagogy in America to to teach for Black lives, you know, and the the campaign is being led by the the Zen Education Project team, which is a project of rethinking schools and teaching for change. And you know, this this campaign includes monthly classes for teachers, where myself or another host will will uh, interview a historian about an aspect of the Black freedom struggle that's often mistaught or completely left out of the curriculum altogether. And hundreds of teachers every month tune into this free uh, session and, and learn black history that we were all never taught in school. 
Um, so that that's been a really amazing community that's developed around this book. And then and then the other triumph of of this campaign is the fact that we've organized over 300 uh, study groups across the country and in states from you know the Atlantic to the Pacific. And we have oh, we've reached over 600,000 students. Uh, when you think about the amount of teachers in each of those study groups who are learning about how to teach for Black lives, how to center Blackness in the classroom, uh, how to teach about master narratives that erase uh, Black contributions and struggles to America, um, and you know how to uplift uh, the struggle for Black lives. And so that's been really a powerful experience and movement that that has developed around around the book. So it's out there in the atmosphere already, and it reaches Pete Carroll. How does it reach Pete Carroll? Well, Macklemore approached Pete Carroll. Uh, you know, I think that he was uh, a potential ally because of a lot of work that we'd been doing with the Seahawks with with Michael Bennett and uh, some of the other Seahawks getting involved in, in supporting some of the initiatives. And Macklemore had a relationship with Pete Carroll already. And so his team helped to, to organize that, that connection. Uh, and it was really exciting to make that connection with Pete, especially in this environment. I mean, it, it would have been incredible for Pete to paint Septima Clark on his shoes and to paint the cover of our book, Teaching for Black Lives on his shoes. And I, and I should say shoes, not cleats. He's more famous for oh, yeah. his dad's shoes than, than, than his cleats. But this time these dad's shoes were really tricked out. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so but, it was more my cause, my shoes. Yes, yes. <laughs> And it, it would have been incredible for him to wear those shoes at the height of the uprising, right? But to wear them now when there's a severe backlash against the uprising and when the right wing has organized a campaign to make Black history illegal, literally in 17 states, it's illegal to teach the truth about structural racism in this country. They, they want to mandate that we lie to kids and hide the fact that our country was founded on slavery and, and that segregation occurred. And these kind of conversations are leading to teachers being fired across the country um, and, you know, books being banned by the hundreds. And in that kind of climate for Pete to step up and raise awareness for supporting anti-racist pedagogy was was really remarkable wow no that is remarkable and and powerful good for pete man no, and no, been, no. so what's been the reaction to pete wearing these cleats and also can you explain who septima clark was yeah. septima clark is my hero my guiding light as an educator probably more than any other educator the person that I have received the most inspiration from, you know, Septima 
Poinsettia Clark was nicknamed the mother of the civil rights movement by Martin Luther King, and yet so few people know her name, right? She was a lifelong truth teacher beginning in a one-room schoolhouse in South Carolina in 1916. And Septima Clark was fired from her first teaching job in South Carolina public schools in 1956. Uh, you know, even she lost all of her retirement benefits when she was fired, but she refused to abandon her activism. They wanted to require her to quit the NAACP and she refused to do that. And it cost her her job and her retirement benefits after a lifetime of work. And, you know, uh, it, she didn't give up though. And that's what's so incredible about her story. When she couldn't get any work in South Carolina, she became the director of education at the Highland Folk School um, really a center for social justice education that was co-founded by the activist and socialist educator Miles Horton. And, you know, Clark and, and a comrade Bernice Robinson, another NAACP activist and teacher, launched the adult night schools on Johns Island in South Carolina. Um, and within three months, eight of these adult students passed their final exam, which was passing South Carolina's voter test, right? Not some meaningless high stakes standardized test to graduate from her school. It was registering to vote, right? And, mm. and becoming part of the movement. And this was really the model for what became called the citizenship schools that Septima Clark wa was foundational for. And then she also was a consultant um, in, in developing the Freedom Schools and Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964. Uh, and there's new research being done about her life beyond the civil rights movement and, and into the Black Power era that I'm, that I'm also fascinated wow. to learn more about. Amazing, amazing. And, and that is who Pete Carroll is representing uh, on his dad's shoes. Just <laughs> unbelievable work, Jesse. Is is there anything else you think that uh, people should know about the campaign? How can people become a part of this campaign? What would people do if they e sent an email or got in touch with y'all? What would they do to plug into this? Well, there's so many ways to join the campaign. If you go to teachingforblacklives.org, there are a menu of options to choose from for how to support. Uh, if you're a parent, a student, a teacher, a community member, just a concerned citizen that believes that we shouldn't lie to kids, that there shouldn't be laws passed that say you have to lie to kids about Black history. Um, so there's study groups that you can apply to become part of. You can join our monthly uh, teach the Black Freedom Struggle class for free with the Zen Education Project. You can donate on that website. Um, there's lots of options for getting involved. And we couldn't have been more thrilled to see the reaction that we got from Pete, Pete Carroll's raising awareness, you know, doing a press conference where he held up the shoes and, and explained why it was important, um, wearing them on game day yesterday. And I have to 
I have to say, they were the lucky shoes that got us a close win. Yeah. So, and you yeah. got to think that the players look at that and it will be feel real pride that they play for a, 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 an individual and for an organization that's willing to rep these politics. Yeah. Yeah. I, w I would think so. And I, I think it's remarkable that Pete is connected with other coaches who have like-minded aspirations of supporting black black people and their communities and not just benefiting from their labor on the field or on the court, um, but actually finding ways to organize to support their youth and their communities. And that means a lot. Absolutely. I mean, there, there are different kinds of sports officials. This, this guy from uh, the NCAA, one of the conferences just described uh, college players as inmates running the prison. Um, hmm. And these are, these are unpaid players. I mean, so there is so much accepted and acceptable racism oh, uh, in the sports yeah. world. And especially in the NFL where you have, where, where you have Jerry Jones uh, having been found in a photo, uh, at, you know, in high school, trying to block kids from integrating Little Rock High School. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a teachable moment. Right. And, and they don't want us to learn what that that history was about and why those students were trying to block black kids from going to their school, because it could cast a shadow on real people who are alive today, still segregating the NFL. And so, you know, raising these kind of issues is so important and really glad that Pete used his platform to, to help elevate this campaign. And in a league where Jerry Jones can take that history of being a 14-year-old and use his billions and power today to try to silence Black athletes, to go after Kaepernick, when you see that there's actually a historical continuity there. Oh, yeah. never been confronted. And if anything, it's been valorized. No doubt. I mean, he also said, the in, we can't let the inmates run the prison, uh, you know, dur during the Kaepernick um, Amazing protests, right? And so we really need to teach the history of the struggles against segregation um, and learn about people like Septima Clark, who are were more behind the scenes, but who were instrumental to winning the right to vote uh, and ending Jim Crow segregation. Well. That's just an unbelievable story. I'm so glad we're going to have this on the Edge of Sports pod. Um, before you go, something I ask every guest is what music you're listening to these days. So I got oh, yeah. to hear from you. What is on your playlist right now as we close 2022? No doubt. Well, I ha I'm writing a book about the struggle to teach truth in during this backlash against critical race theory. And so I'm I'm listening to a lot of music that feels like the truth to me and, while I'm writing. And there is an incredible album called Blues and the Abstract Truth that uh, I'm enjoying quite a bit. Who's it by? Um, uh, it's an ensemble of legends, wow. uh, jazz legends. 
um, that that's really worth checking out. And I'm also listening to a lot of JB Lenore, who I recently discovered was related uh, that our families came from the same plantation in, in Morgantown, Mississippi, and just an inspiration for me as a, as a blues musician. And you have a band called Blue Tide. I'm going to mention that if you're not. Oh, yeah. Hit us up on Spotify, the Blue Tide. Yeah, they, they, they wreck it every time. Uh, and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> oh, no. uh, well, we'll, thanks so much for joining us, Jesse. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Appreciate uh, it. It's awesome. We'll be right back after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words. As Shrell Griner smiled and said, today my family is whole, it was impossible to not feel moved by the enormity of the moment. Yet some have insisted upon trying, but let the haters rot. Shrell Griner's wife is coming home. WNBA superstar Brittany Griner is at long last leaving a Russian penal colony. As this space has argued, don't believe the nonsense that this has all been about a vape cartridge. Until today, Brittany Griner was a political prisoner in Russia. She was sentenced to nine years of hard labor in Mordovia's land of prisons because there is an increasing hot-cold war between the United States and Russia. She was sentenced because she had the misfortune to be profiled, targeted, and caught at a Moscow airport right when Russia was launching what it thought would be an easy invasion of Ukraine. Ever since then, she has been part of what is politely called hostage diplomacy. Understanding Griner as a political prisoner would mean building a very specific kind of movement that involves raising the profile and plight of the imprisoned in order to force officials and diplomats to prioritize her freedom. I remember the day when news of Griner's capture made its way across the ocean, thinking that raising awareness would be the least of our problems. After all, this is six foot eight inch Brittany Griner, her absence will be noticed, but this was not the case. Instead, there was a kind of organized erasure coming from the 24-hour sports news cycle. It's been said so often that it has become a cliche, but that doesn't make it any less true. If a Tom Brady or a Steph Curry were in a Russian prison facing years of hard labor, the outcry from the sports world, from this government, and especially for Steph from the world, would be a cacophony. Brittany Griner was an afterthought. In the sports world, this reflected how the media treats women's sports specifically and black queer women more broadly as depersonalized objects of invisibility or derision. Factor in Griner's history as someone who has raised the issue of the toll of police violence on black lives and even gasp taking a knee during the national anthem 
and we had a recipe for erasure. Better to report on Aaron Rodgers' latest wine to a podcast host than on the efforts to lift Brittany Griner's name and secure her freedom. There were also many who stayed silent on the Council of the State Department, who told us all that any agitation would only make Brittany a more valuable asset to Putin and cause negotiations to be more difficult. And yet, as the months dragged on, Sherelle Griner had enough of the lead from the State Department and began her own effort to say her wife's name and encourage others to do the same. Fans and other prominent athletes in the WNBA and NBA, including the aforementioned Curry at the Golden State Warriors Championship Ring Ceremony, called for her freedom. Supporters made homemade buttons and t-shirts. The media got the hint and began pressing people like Griner's former coach at Baylor, Kim Mulkey, on why they weren't supporting Griner. People persevered in the face of a Trump-led right wing more comfortable mocking Griner than standing in solidarity with an Olympic athlete behind bars. People also persevered despite a section of the quote-unquote left wing who did not see the importance of Griner's case and even saw it as a distraction to the very real twin crises of the drug war and the prison system in the United States. There were also, as I wrote, factions on right and left defending Putin and turning Griner into some kind of representative of U.S. imperial ambition instead of a human being languishing in a cell. Yet now Griner is free. And instead of all of us joining Sherelle Griner in her joy, there is already clamor from the right that the deal never should have been made because Griner is quote-unquote un-American and the U.S. was quote-unquote fleeced by swapping Griner for arms dealer Victor Boot, a.k.a. the Merchant of Death. Conservative grumbling ignores that Boot was set to be freed by 2029 at the latest. Is Brittany Griner's life worth at most seven years of Boot's freedom? That's not a fleecing. Others have criticized the Biden administration for not being able to swap for former Marine Paul Whelan, also in a Russian jail, as if Griner were being privileged. But both the Griner and the Whelan families have said they support each other and that whoever was freed first would fight for the other. Sure enough, in her remarks at the White House, Sherelle Griner said, Today my family is whole, but as you are all aware, there are many other families who are not whole. BG is not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul Whelan, whose family is in our hearts today as we celebrate BG being home. We do understand that there's still people out there who are enduring what I endured the last nine months of missing tremendously their loved ones, end quote. Brittany Griner's release is a vindication of agitation, of pushing the Biden administration to act publicly and transparently in its efforts to secure her freedom. Far from distracting us from U.S. jails and the millions of family members here also missing their loved ones, it should embolden us to take that fight home. Far from being hypocritical to champion Griner while people here suffer, it is part of having a global perspective on prison abolitionism and drug decriminalization. The true hypocrisy would have been choosing silence when faced with Brittany and Sherelle Griner's pain. Their pain was an injustice. The mockery and silence in the face of that pain was an injustice. But their self-advocacy and calls for solidarity are incredibly inspiring in a time when inspiration can sometimes seem in short supply today was a good day
We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now, before we stop the show this week, just a quick word about the death of the most important soccer writer uh, that I've ever read, the most influential, Grant Wall. Grant was a friend of the show. He appeared on the show. He also secured his amazing partner, Dr. Celine Gounder, one of the great epidemiologists in the country to be on this show during the pandemic. Uh, He was always there for every podcast, every zine, any young person who needed a word. Grant Wall is the most accessible person that I've ever come across in this business. Uh, He also is somebody absolutely unafraid to speak truth to power, which is why so many people want to know what the truth was around his death in Cotter. Because even though he was complaining of health pains, he also was somebody who was writing without fear about Cotter's uh, blasé attitude toward the death of migrant workers and the repression of LGBTQ people. While, of course, was even detained for trying to get into a stadium wearing a rainbow shirt. So, Grant Wall Presente, you gave us an example that we all would do well to follow. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, David Tigaboo, the producer of this podcast. Thank you, Jesse Hagopian, for being our guest. For everybody out there, think about Grant Wall and his family this week. Please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Peace.